Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be here. Happy Father's Day to everybody. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 uh, in your Bibles there. In these Bibles, it'll be page 733. If you'd like to follow along, it'll also be on the screen today as we go there. But uh, yeah, glad to be here. I feel like I'm talking in a cave, Mike. I'm not sure why. So, all right, thank you. Um, but it's a it's a good day to be here. Happy Father's Day to everybody. It's a day to celebrate those who fulfill the role of dad. Uh, it's a good day, but it can also be a very emotional day, you know, for a lot of people for many different reasons. Um, I think it's because fathers hold such a significant role in our life, you know, so they're so important and they're so vital and it can really be a very emotional thing. It can be very bittersweet for those who have uh, lost a father, you know, had a loving dad. It can be a really bittersweet day, um, perhaps painful for you if you didn't have a relationship with your dad that you would have hoped that you'd had, right? If you, if you wanted something and never had that, this can be a difficult day as well, um, but regardless of your story... I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. Thanks for being here. Um, we all have a Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. He wants us to know it. And uh, so uh, I want to just thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. And I hope the message today just is encouraging to you no matter what your story has been. I think one thing we can all agree on is that dads tell terrible jokes. Bad dad jokes are a thing. So, of course, I'm going to share a couple with you, you know, just just for you. Did you know that the first French fries weren't actually made in France? They were made in Greece. Aww. Want to hear a joke about a piece of paper? Never mind, it's terrible. Some of you are going to repeat these later on today. My dad was only familiar with 25 letters in the English language. I asked him, but he didn't know why. Yep, yep, mm hmm. What do you call someone with no body and only a nose? Nobody knows. Hmm, mm. yep, mm hmm. Yeah, high level, I'm telling you. Intellectual humor is what you will get here. Last one, a burglar was in a house looking for some jewelry, searching around. If you've ever heard this one, I don't know, but searching around. And he hears this odd voice say, Jesus is watching. He freezes. Pauses, hears nothing. Keeps on moving. He's like, maybe that was just like my inner conscience talking to me, you know, like feeling bad about what he's doing. So he keeps on doing it. And then he hears it again. Jesus is watching. Takes out his flashlight, starts going around the room, doesn't see anybody, and finally the flashlight comes to rest on a cage, and in the cage is a parrot. And he goes, Did you say that? The parrot says, Yep. He says, What's your name? And the parrot says, Moses. And the burglar goes, What kind of stupid people name their parrot Moses? And the parrot says, The same stupid people that named the Rottweiler Jesus. There you go. See, as a dad, that one resonates. That one works because 
I'm keenly aware that my kids are always watching. Do you know what it's like to preach Sunday after Sunday and have your children hear? Like everything you say, right? Like they're there, you know, like there's something about people always watching us. Um, Pastor and author Chuck Swindoll said, it's hardest at home. I may have shared this before, but at home they don't praise you. They just simply say, Dad, your fly is open. Right? That's what happens at home. Um, they watch how I spend my time, how I talk, what I wear, uh, what I watch, where I go, when I show up, everything. They're just always watching. You know, forget Jesus watching. You know, kids are always watching. Um, and it's not, <coughs> excuse me, it's not just at home. Like, we live in a nosy society. Yes. Like, that, <laughs> that Facebook stalking is a thing. Like, you call them, like, we've got words for these people. We call them creepers, right? They, they're like, I met somebody last week. I have never met them before in my life. Never met them. So, hi, nice to meet you. And they was introduced. I said, oh, this is, this is Dan Greco, Pastor Dan from Life Street. And she said, oh, I know you. I've seen all your stuff on Facebook. I know all about you. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I've never met you before. And like, I've got to go change my privacy settings. Like, I don't know. Like, just feel like we're always being watched. You know, some of you are not on social media for that reason. You don't want to be watched. Right? But the, the reality is that we live in a world that's nosy. And they're watching. Right? You drive... There's an accident on the other side of the road. And there's traffic in your lane. Why? Because they are, according to Long Islanders, rubbernecking. Right? Rubbernecking. They're just... What? That's a word. It's a word for watching something that you're not part of. We live in a world that rubbernecks. They're constantly looking and watching and being nosy. And the thing is, you can't avoid it. What we do is seen by other people. If you've ever seen Monsters, Inc., think of Roz. Watching you, Wazowski. Always watching, right? You hear that? Did you guys, you guys, anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I crazy? Some of you know it. Okay, you've seen the show. You understand. There's this sense of I'm watching. Can't avoid it. And what I want to talk about this morning, I'm fairly certain that you will thank you very much. All right. Can we thank Gordon for... That's my father-in-law, and a happy Father's Day to him, most of all. I mean, I'm happy for the other fathers, but, you know, he gave me a better gift. So what I want to talk about this morning, I'm fairly certain that you're going to agree with. It's the reality that everyone watching us constantly can be a source of frustration. It can be a source of pressure and stress. It can be a, a source of... So many challenges in our life, the fact that we're always thinking about what other people are thinking about us, right? Because they're always watching. We're aware of it, keenly aware of it, even as kids, right? Getting dressed for school and like they're aware of what other people are thinking as they're watching. But the reality is, what I want to talk about this morning is that that dynamic of people watching us, it's also an opportunity. As much as it's a challenge, you can't, you can't beat it. You can't stop it. But maybe you can leverage it. Maybe you can use it as an opportunity. And today I want to look at a father who made the most of his opportunity and perhaps give us some help as we live our own lives in front of others. So Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read 
starting in verse 18, about a father who we all know, but really don't know that well. His name's Joseph. Anybody ever hear of him? Joseph married this lady named Mary. Had this little boy named Jesus. <laughs> and uh, this is this is the story of of Joseph. We're going to look at Joseph this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary <coughs> excuse me, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, she was still a virgin, and she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not natural, we understand this, supernatural. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, history doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph. We know some things about Joseph, but we don't know a a lot. He doesn't show up a lot in in the Bible. He really doesn't. It's just more in the beginning, and then that's kind of it. Kind of a a small window. But just as God chose Mary to be Jesus' mother, God chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. And the reality is that Joseph was a descendant of King David. So this was one of those... This was no accident. This was God's chosen man. And it says he was a righteous man, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man who did what was right. Now imagine if you were engaged and you found out what Joseph found out about your fiancé. Right? You found out news like that. How would you respond? How many of you would be out? Right? Like, peace, gone, like... How many of you would probably, like, lose it and go tell the whole town, right? Like, can you believe? Can you believe what they did? Can you? Right? I mean, you'd be so hurt. But instead of losing his cool and heaping shame on Mary, now remember, in this moment, he doesn't know the story. He's thinking what everybody else is thinking has happened. And he decides that I'm just going to break the engagement quietly. He's hurt, yet he refuses to be vindictive. He refuses to publicly disgrace somebody who, as far as he knows, deserves it. He should be publicly disgracing her, but he, in his own mind, chooses not to. He values her dignity over what he believed to be her sin. Can I ask you a question? Does that sound like anybody you know? That he chooses to value her dignity over what he perceives to be her sin. Because there was this story somewhere about a woman caught in adultery who's brought to the feet of Jesus later on in his life. And you know what he chooses to do? He just gets down and starts writing with his finger in some dirt. People start walking away. All these accusers. See, Jesus refuses to publicly shame a woman for something that is probably, I mean, says she was caught in the act of adultery. So this was a woman in sin. She comes and Jesus decides, I'm going to show grace here, not judgment and condemnation. So my question to you this morning is this. Where do you think he learned that? Just asking. Listen to what happened to Joseph next, right? So he decides to disgrace, not to disgrace her publicly, decides to break the engagement quietly, and says, as he considered this, the situation, verse 20, says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this honorable and gracious guy now has a dream. Kind of the picture clarifies a little bit more for him. Now listen, to marry her, it didn't say, hey, go tell everybody the story. He just says, marry her anyway. You know the story. You can't tell anybody about it. But this is the right thing to do in this situation. But to marry her would have reflected poorly on Joseph. People would have said, pointed fingers, made assumptions, right? Like the rumor mill would have been flying. He would be accused of all sorts of untrue things. And an angel says, don't be afraid of any of that. But courageously trust that God has planned. Says when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And the question I have today is this what kind of trust do you have to have in God to do something that has the potential to cause you so much pain? What kind of trust do you have to have in a God who says, I got a plan and I know it looks like it's gonna cause you lots of pain? Your family won't understand. Your friends, your social group won't understand. Your community will not understand. Everybody will judge you, but trust me. You want courage? Joseph submitted himself to a purpose greater than his own understanding. Does that sound like anybody else you know? Since Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, Jesus went on a little further. And bow with his face to the ground saying, My father, if possible, would you let this cup of suffering be taken away from me? This is when he's in the garden, right, praying before he's about to go to the cross. There's this incredibly painful experience that's ahead of him. And he's saying, I don't want this. And he says, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I'll do whatever you lead me to do. This is courageous faith. Jesus trusted the purpose and the plan and the sovereignty of God over his own pain. So the question is this, where do you think he learned that? Where do you think Jesus learned to just courageously walk into whatever the future might hold because he trusted in God's plan? God spoke to Joseph several more times through dreams. Matthew 2, verse 13 says, after the wise men were gone, you know the whole Christmas story, right? It says, after the wise men leave, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Second time, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left. When? That night, he left for Egypt with the child and his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Skip down to verse 19. It says, Herod now dies. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Third time. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel 
with Jesus and his mother. Verse 22, but when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, I'm not even going to try, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. Fourth time. Fourth dream. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophet said. He will be called a Nazarene. Did you pick up that four separate times it's recorded that God spoke to Joseph in a dream? We don't have a whole lot of record of Joseph, but that's a lot of times for somebody to be hearing from God. Joseph was sensitive to the voice of God. God's always speaking, but we're not always listening. Joseph was sensitive to the voice of God, and God directed his steps, gave him supernatural wisdom. Did Joseph really know what was going on in Egypt? Was he reading the Egypt Times? Did he get on Twitter and check what's going on in the feed? Right? He doesn't know, but God supernaturally gives him wisdom about things he should not know about. And his sensitivity to God, it literally saved Jesus' life. As a child, Herod kills all the kids, but they're not there because Joseph listened and left. God is constant, and, and every time Joseph listens, it's all part of the plan from the beginning of time. He was supposed to be coming out of Egypt. And he was supposed to be coming out of Nazareth. And he was supposed to be coming from the king of David, from the, from, the, from the family and the lineage of David. Joseph listened to dreams constantly. And he was, do, was willing to do whatever it took to go wherever God might tell him to go. Listen, moving is not easy. Does anybody enjoy moving? You like packing up your whole house? You have problems. We know this. Now, Rachel, I love you, but seriously, come on. Moving is a lot of work. Nobody, listen, very few of you like that. Rachel, if you need help moving, everybody, please ask Rachel to help. She will, she will love it. But for the rest of us, it's a lot of work. Jesus moved four times, it says, before he was 12. They go from here to there, and there to there, and there to there, and there back to there. Joseph was willing to go wherever God sent him. So let me ask you, does that sound like anybody else you know? Luke chapter 4 records this. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave here. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent so he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. He's on the move. Luke, later in, in chapter 9, records, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says very simply, all right, let me tell you this. <coughs> Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Jesus was committed to a life of following wherever God sent him. He just kept moving. He didn't have a nice little place in Galilee by the lake. He didn't have a place to lay his head. I wondered where he learned to follow wherever God sent him. But let's not think of Joseph, Joseph as just some like super dad who's always doing things right. right? He was a normal guy. And he wasn't always in on what God was doing. It wasn't like Joseph had like this supernatural, I understand my son is going to be the Savior. Like he had all these dreams, but he still didn't always understand what that meant. Luke tells us that in chapter 2, it says every year, 
Every year, his parents, Joseph and Mary, they were faithful people. They never missed. It says every year they went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. This is a major expense, a major journey, but they were committed to it. And said when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. <coughs> and says after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't miss him at first. This is a funny story. This is very funny. They didn't miss him because they assumed he was among the other travelers, probably with family or friends, you know, like he was hanging out with somebody in the group. But when he didn't show up that evening for dinner, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Imagine if you're the dad who lost Jesus. Right? That's who are you, Joseph? Oh, I'm sorry. Right? That's your epitaph. He's the guy that lost Jesus. So verse 45 says, when they couldn't find him, then they're, they're a day out. Now it says they go back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, and these are days without their child, they finally discover him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, teachers, listening to them and asking questions. You know, I just have this, I have a problem. I'm sorry. I just really hope that when they got there, whoever saw him first just yelled, I found Jesus! I just think that would be really funny if they were like, I found Jesus. I have problems, I know. Verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Parents, have you ever asked your children that question? Why are you doing this to me? Your father and I have been frantic Searching for you everywhere. Let me tell you, Joseph and Mary were normal parents. They were normal parents. What in the world are you doing to us? Why are you doing this to us? Do you have any idea of the stress you caused me? Jesus stressed out his parents. So let me just, parents, it's okay. Jesus stressed out his parents. So if your kids are stressing you out, it's okay. It's normal for kids to stress out their parents. Joseph, I promise, had gray hairs in his beard because of Jesus. All right? It was a thing. And of course, young Jesus in verse 49 says, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? You want proof that Joseph was a real guy? Verse 50 says, they had no idea what he was talking about. They're like, what? what? Who, who is this kid? He must get that from your side of the family. Right? Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Joseph cared deeply about his son. And he loved him enough to worry about him. He loved him enough to stress over him. And Jesus saw that. Listen, Joseph was just a real guy. A carpenter. He wasn't God and he didn't pretend to be. He was simply a man who loved and cared deeply for his children. So, what did Joseph do? He went looking for his lost child. Joseph went looking for his lost child. So the question I have is, does that sound like anyone else you know? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
I wonder where he learned that from. To search for days and days and days for your lost children. See, week one of this series, Sons and Daughters, we talked about how something activates in us when we're together. and We bring out the best in each other. In week two, we said that God is calling us all to raise sons and daughters and that it takes all of us to raise sons and daughters. And then we said we need to love we need love to raise our sons and daughters, as what Pastor Kevin shared. And then last week we talked about how our sons and daughters will exceed us with Elijah and Elisha. We've got to have a vision that they will do more. So today, the point I'd like to make is this. The most powerful tool in raising sons and daughters is your example. The most powerful tool in raising sons and daughters is your example. Howard Hendricks, brilliant professor and educator, said, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. How many of you just felt like weight? (laughs) Like a lot of weight. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. What you do matters. We got it over there. It's one of our core values. What you do matters. I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching. The crowd said, Jesus is just a carpenter's son. I don't think they had any idea who that carpenter was. Because his life shaped Jesus' life. I mean, he was just a man, absolutely, but he was up for the task. He was up for the task. We don't know much about what Joseph said. There's very little recorded. And actually, towards the end of his career life, we know that most likely Joseph died at some point. He's not present when Jesus is on the cross. So at some point in his growing up years, his father, Joseph, passes. We don't know the story. There's very little words we hear recorded about what Joseph said. But we know much about his example. And I don't know, I'm not going to theologically talk about what extent Joseph influenced Jesus, but it's undeniable that Joseph modeled grace. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to dignify you more than just judge you for your sin. He modeled grace. He modeled courageous faith. He modeled obedience to the voice of God. He modeled a heart of love for the lost. It's the kind of things that he modeled. An example speaks loudly. (laughs) So what? So what this morning? So the question for us is, how can we be like Joseph? For fathers, mothers, everybody, how can we be an example that's worth following? Maybe today you identify with Charles Barkley. I'm not a role model. Maybe you feel that. Remember the commercial? None of you? Anybody? Commercial? Yeah, some of you? Come on. Basketball player, millionaire came out with this great shoe commercial saying, I am not a role model. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Tell them not to watch me. You know what? We don't have that option. 
You can say I'm not a role model all you want, but guess what? They're always watching. And I'm not just talking about children. People out there, people who don't know your story, they're always watching. People closest to you, people everywhere, they're constantly watching what we do, how we do it, when we do it, what we say, how we respond. And what that can do is it can begin to create pressure. I'm not worthy of being followed. Do not model your life. We want our kids to do what we say and not what we do because we know how to say the right things, but it's so much harder to actually do them. And though we know, we all agree that example matters more than what we say. It's still hard to do it. It creates stress and pressure in our lives. We feel unworthy. That's why the Apostle Paul, he was an awful example. He went around killing people, killing Christians. And he wanted to change that. And he began to learn about Jesus and who he was, what he said and what he lived for. What he died for. (laughs) And the more Paul learned about Jesus, the more he became an example for others. And he said something that gave us blueprints for how to be a good example. Ready? This is what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, that's the wrong translation. That's all right. NIV. If we can go NIV, but it's all right. In this, he says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. In the NIV, it says, you should follow me. As I follow Christ. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, here's the simple truth today. If you will follow the example of Jesus, you will be an example worth following. It's not about you. It's not about me trying to prove or impress anybody else. The act of following Jesus makes us worthy examples. And who knows what that might be. Every day is going to be different. It may mean extending grace when you've been wronged. It may mean taking a step of courageous faith. It may mean <laughs> excuse me, being sacrificially obedient. It may mean having a heart of love for the lost. I don't know what it's going to look like. Each day is going to be different. Joseph was a carpenter. He had various tools, right? He had a tool chest full. Today on the way out, we got something for all the men here. It's Father's Day. We got gifts. Got a multi-tool. Because you never know what you're going to need. It's got all sorts of things on it. I think it's like ten different things on it that you can, that you can use it for. See, following Jesus will require a variety of responses from you. To be an example just means follow The example of Jesus. You will never mislead those that follow you if you follow Jesus. (laughs) I want to encourage everybody in the room today. You can lead by example. Everybody in here, you can lead by example. I think there's probably this sense of pressure and stress that comes with it. And I want to encourage you. You can do this. You can do this because you're not alone in it. And the reality is everybody has someone watching. 
We're going to close in just a minute and it's going to come on up and play. But here's where the challenge becomes the opportunity. Since people are always watching, take advantage of it. You get to decide what you will show them. People are always watching. So what will they see? I hear this, you can play, but I hear this song in my head. I'm going to close with this. And maybe hear these lyrics from this song from the perspective of those wondering about God. There are those <coughs> learning, trying to figure out, we've talked about sons and daughters and raising up the next generation. Now, passing on our faith. It's what it's all about. It's not about just our own growth, but passing it on. So hear it from the perspective of those wondering about God. And hopefully this song will be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. It goes something like this. Um, Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, come on, I'll be watching you. Every single day, every word you say, Every game you play, every night you stay, every move you make, every vow you break, every smile you fake, every claim you stake, I'll be watching you. Our world is watching. And the greatest tool that you have is your example. (laughs) Rather than seeing it as a challenge, see it as an opportunity to show them the God that we follow. Follow me. Because I'm following the King. And He will never mislead us. To fathers, mothers, Kids, doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's watching. Everybody is watching. May we be examples worth following. All we got to do is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Get to know Him better day by day. Don't need to be a professional. Don't need to be a professional. Just need to follow Him. Let's take a moment and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. Lord, that you know we needed an example. And so you sent Jesus. So that we could see and hear and know how we're supposed to live our lives. He was the great example. And Lord, there's so much about what he said that was important, but even more what he did. Lord, His love for others. The grace that He showed. The courage, the faith, the trust. The willingness to go, to do, to seek, to find, to search, to give. Lord, help us to follow You so closely so that as we follow You, 
we can say to others, just follow me because I'm just following him. And we all become followers of you. You're worth following because where you lead (laughs) is the best possible direction. Thank you, God. You are good. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.